0: Flowers are a beautiful thing, and we use them everywhere, right? We use flowers at weddings, we use them for landscaping, for decorations, as gifts. But why flowers? Why, why do we use flowers at all these various places, right? Um, we, we, could, we could use uh, we, we could use all kinds of things. but what makes a flower so special that it can be used in all of these places? Well. Wherever a flower it is, it provides a beauty and fragrance that can't be found anywhere else. Wherever you see flowers, there's something there that you couldn't do with a pile of rocks. There's something there that, that even if you had a painting, oftentimes the paintings reflect the colors that we would find in flowers. Flowers provide something that is beautiful. They make something ordinary, something special. They make something simple um, great. Jesus himself says that the lilies of the field surpass Solomon in all his glory. The the lilies of the field, the, the wildflowers of the field, are more beautiful than Solomon, the richest man to ever grace the face of the earth in all of his glory. That should say something about flowers in our life. The fragrance and beauty of flowers brighten every room, every yard, and every smile. Even so, God has blessed us with women who, by God's design, glorify God through their inward beauty and fragrance of submission. While it could be tempting to merely worship the beauty of created things, I think the passage this morning is going to call us to worship God for the blessings he's given us in our lives. Proverbs 31, I read this to you earlier, says, Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. In other words, this morning, I'm going to ask you to stop and smell the roses. Not because the roses in and of themselves are so praiseworthy, but because they bring glory and honor to God. You see, there's a temptation with a service like today. Like today, there's a temptation on my part to to make the sermon about how how great women are. And I think women are great, but women are only so great as they reflect the character that God has given them to reflect. And it's those things that we should find praiseworthy. The other temptation, and I've been to many uh, services like this, would be to make Mother's Day an opportunity to tell mothers how to be mothers. I don't think any of you want me to do that today, right? That's not why you came, right? And you dressed up and you, you brought your family. You didn't want me to come and, and give husbands an opportunity to elbow and, uh, and everything else. No, that's not why we come. Instead, I want today to be an opportunity for us to see the beautiful place that God has given the women in our lives and to celebrate the grace that is expressed in the uniqueness of womanhood. Now, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, but I can't start there. That's what we're going to be looking at, but I can't start there. And the reason I can't start there is chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, it comes out of chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 is this summary of what's going to happen in the following passages. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter's concern was that Even if Christians found themselves in the worst places of suffering, they would honor God and bring him glory. Now, into that, he begins talking about marriage. Into this idea of suffering, Peter inserts marriage passage. Okay, okay, and some of you, the irony is starting to click here, right? Uh, As perfect as all of our marriages are, you probably don't recognize how this fits, right? Because we all have perfect marriages, so our marriage never feels like suffering. Uh, But Peter understood that even in marriage, it was possible to have difficulty and suffering. And so today, he paints a picture of a godly woman which causes men to glorify God, even if they are disobedient to God's word. And so that's the context we find that. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to read with me or right, um, follow along with me as I read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And as I read this, don't stone me until after it's over. All right. Likewise, wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some, of, uh, some do not obey the word, they might be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, and putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening." Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. God's Word has something very specific to say for us, and it's really easy to break this down. In verses 1 and 2, we see the fragrance of submission. The fragrance of submission. Now, I want to be very careful here to to clarify this command. I'm not preaching this as an exhortation. I want us to see the blessing and the benefit of these things. He's commanding them, wives be subject to your own husbands. That word subject really is the same word that he's going to use later for submission. Why most translations translate it that way, I have no clue. But it's the same exact word for submission. Now, submission doesn't mean that it's less valuable. Submission actually should be an honor held by women. For Christ himself submitted to the Father. Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, he understood submission and applied it in his relationship to his Father. Let me read just a couple of passages to you. For I have come down from heaven. This is Jesus speaking. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Or Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father... If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, this is, this is a good theological question. Don't mess it up. Is God the Father and God the Son equally great? Yes, yes. There's nothing less valuable in God the Son than there is God the Father. There, there, there's, there's, there, there, they both are 100% God. They are both holy and perfect in every way, shape, or form. And yet we see in the life and ministry of Jesus, I've read two verses, I could have read to you a 100 verses, in which Jesus says, my responsibility is due to the will of him who sent me. Jesus places himself under God, the Father. He does so willingly. This is submission. It doesn't mean that he is any less of a person. It doesn't mean that he is um, any, any less valuable. It means that he willingly submitted to the will of the Father. Even so, wives be submissive to your own husbands. Notice it says to your own husbands. I've read too many uh, men who want to quote this verse as saying, well, women should just submit to every man. That's not what this says. It says, wives, be submissive to your own husband because you have put yourself in a covenant relationship with this man. That's why there is submission. What's the purpose of this? Why does he do this? He says, so that, that should always be a cue when you see it in the text, so that, here's the purpose, even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Peter has a fun little play on, play on words here. He says here that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one. Now, even if some do not obey the word. We looked at earlier in, in, the begin, in 1 Peter chapter 1 that obeying the word was that initial response to Christ. This initial, this initial, I want to submit my life to Christ. Even if some men are unwilling to submit to the gospel and want to live in rebellion, they hear the word, but they don't want to obey it. They might be won by the word, a speechless word of their wife. They might be won by the conduct of their wife. Here is some gospel perspective for women who live in marriages with unbelievers. The reason that you live the way you do is for the sake of the gospel. It's for the sake of the kingdom, that these men might be joined to the kingdom of God. These men that you love and cherish, uh, you want them to be joined to the kingdom of God. It it would be um, equivalent to if I were a doctor and I said, I have the cure for cancer. I have the cure for cancer, but I'm not going to share it. Why are you not going to share it? Well, it's kind of offensive because I have to tell you, you're sick first. So I don't want to tell you you're sick. I don't want to tell you you have this disease because it's offensive. The same is true with the gospel. Sometimes we have the gospel, but we don't want to share it because it hurts. Because we have to admit that there's something wrong before we can accept what's right. We have to understand the bad news before we can understand the good news. And it is here that in this moment he's saying, as wives submit to their husbands, they're giving the good news. They're displaying the good news that they might be one without a word. That they might be one by just seeing the change of life in these individuals. This this verse is very close to Matthew eighteen. Another uncomfortable verse to preach. Matthew 18, verse 15, he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you have won your brother. You have, you have won your brother. You have taken them out of darkness into light. You have rescued them from sin. It says, Wise be subject to your own husbands that you might win them by the conduct of your lives. Well, what, what kind of conduct does he have here? When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, you may look at that, and if you've been paying close attention, you may realize those are the same words that Peter uses to describe all of the Christian life. Peter is not asking the wives to act anything differently than a Christian, he's saying, just live what you preach, be, be the message, live out the message. Because in verses 15, chapter 1, verses 15 and 17, he uses these same exact words to describe the Christian life. Now, I've kinda, I'm giving you a broad scope here to see this, but I want you to understand why this is important. See, in, in Peter's day, in, in the day of this writing, submission would have been expected. It would have been expected by those who were in the, in the context. And if it wasn't given, there would have been much sterner repercussions. It would have, submission was a kind of life. And what was happening is these women were giving their lives to Jesus. These women were giving their lives to Jesus and their husbands weren't. And so many people saw that as rebellion. Many people saw this, this act of, I'm going to follow Jesus as rebellion against their husbands. Peter is saying, no, you need to be above reproach. You need to give them no reason, but instead they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of Christ. He's calling them to look different than the culture around them. He's calling them to live submissively, yes, but for a different reason. Live submissively to your husband, not because he told you so, but because it brings glory and honor to God. Not because it's expected of you by the culture, but because it's beautiful in God's sight. See, the fragrance and beauty of a flower stands out amongst the mundane right? I mean you can have you can have a wonderful house with white siding and you know and a, and a and a nice roof and it's got a good clean cut grass and it looks pretty, right? I mean it could, you know, if it's clean it could look it could look nice. But now you, you go you go to the Scots and you get a bunch of flowers and you go plant them in front of that house and they start to bloom in the spring and you have you have the lilies and you have and you have the tulips coming up, and you have these big lilac bushes. And what 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 begins to happen as these plants begin to come out? Well, they begin to stand out, right? They begin to make the house look all the more beautiful. This is what Peter is asking them to do. He's asking them to have a pleasant aroma, a pleasant beauty, standing out amongst all the other li- uh, amongst all the other individuals. He's calling the women to stand out in a way that is different, peculiar, that brings glory and honor to God as opposed to themselves, in a way that those who don't know Christ can't exemplify Him. Ladies, never underestimate the power of a Christian life. Never underestimate the power of living Christianly in the presence of your children. I mean, how many of us could testify to the way our parents lived in front of us that causes us to live differently? Never underestimate the power of the Christian life that matches a Christian message. Men, have you taken time to notice the praiseworthy fragrances and submission in the lives of our mothers and wives? Are we noticing these things? Peter says these are something that should stand out. Are we acknowledging them when we see them? Or have we become so, so um, used to these things that we don't notice them? Church, are we praying that we might have women who have husbands that are disobedient to God's word, that are transformed by the life of their wives? Are we praying for lost husbands? Are we praying for, for men who are transformed? because of the beauty of a a Christian woman's life. We have a community that is a majority of single parents. Are we praying that those parents give off a fragrance and beauty that their children and husbands might see the gospel in their lives? Peter calls for this kind of life. So he calls for a fragrance of submission, but he also calls for an adorn, adornment and beauty. He calls them to be adorned in beauty. The submission of the heart is expressed. It doesn't stay in the heart. It's, it's expressed in the way they look. Look at verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious now he's comparing two things here as peter likes to do he's comparing false beauty and true beauty he says first of all do not let your adorning be external now this is an era let's see if this sounds familiar this is an era in which women would spend hours and hours upon hair braiding of hair would take days on end and and they would spend multitudes of money and the braiding of hair. Now, for us, that seems kind of silly, right? Because you know, we're you know, we're thinking, how hard is this? Right? But for them, they, they would spend hours, not in intricate details, doing these things, and they would adorn themselves in this, in this way. They would spend countless amounts of money on jewelry and clothing so that they might stand out amongst the other women, so that they might be noticed. As we look and see how much money and time they spent, we understand that it had a particular value, right? Because you know how much you value something by how much time and money you're willing to spend on it, right? So they obviously felt as though these external things had value. My question is, how many times do you have to have your hair done and redone before you realize that it's not, it's not going to last? How many times do you have to stand, full, stand looking at your closet full of nothing to wear to realize that you're never going to be satisfied? How many times do, do we have to see jewelry? Uh, just I mean, when you go to a mall, it's overwhelming when you walk by a jewelry store, right? I mean, there's just... Uh, to realize that none of this is going to last. The clothes are going to get stained or they're going to wear out. The jewelry is is going to to fade. It won't be as nice as it once was. The, The hair is going to become undone. These are all temporal things. They won't last. But notice what he says. There's an alternative. What's the alternative he has here? But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Peter calls them to adorn themselves with beauty that begins on the inside. He's not saying it's wrong to wear nice clothes. He is not saying it's wrong to wear jewelry. Or or as some some, uh, denominations would say, he's saying it's wrong to braid hair. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, what is the most important thing? The way you look on the outside, or the way you live on the inside. This is imperishable, one of Peter's favorite words. This beauty that is on the inside is something that will remain. It's something that we remember. I can... I'll just use my grandmother as an example. My grandmother is no longer with us. And she, at one time, thought she had beautiful clothes and jewelry. And all the while, I'm thinking, what are you wearing The only thing I remember thinking about her jewelry is, wow, that's way too much. (laughs) But I could sit here and tell you story after story of the gospel that changed her life. I am who I am today because of her being affected by the gospel and sharing the gospel with me. She led me to Christ because of the gospel that had impacted her heart She could adorn herself with all kinds of things. She could go have her hair done every week. And none of that matters to me. What matters to me is that she adorned herself with the truth of God's word that impacted my heart. Something that is imperishable, that I pray will impact my children's heart and their children's heart and their children's heart. Something that will last, something that is imperishable, something that goes beyond this life. It's not wrong to dress nice. It is wrong to dress nice at the expense of the gospel. That that would become more valuable to you than the imperishable beauty of the gospel applied. Thus he says that they are to adorn themselves with the imperishable of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now I hesitate to use this passage. It's probably not a very popular passage, but it helps us to understand the context. And Proverbs 21, nine, it says, it's better to live on the corner of a rooftop than in a house with a nagging wife. <laughs> that would have been very true. That, that proverb is written not because it was obscurity, but because it was regularity. It was the regular. It was the norm. And, and I share that with you because he's contrasting that with the, the one who adorns himself with a gentle and quiet spirit. This doesn't mean mousy. Look at Esther. Would anybody describe her as mousy? She could have been killed for approaching the king, even though he was her husband, and yet she enters the throne room and finds favor in his eyes and saves all of the people of Israel. But yet she would be described as a woman of old who was submissive. It doesn't mean mousy. It's the attitude of the heart which seeks to not be abrasive, which seeks to not be nagging, but yet speak the truth with clarity and kindness. Why would they do this? Because it's precious in God's sight. Notice the difference here in these two passages. You have the one who adorns themselves externally. What are they looking for? Outward attention. And you have the one who adorns themselves And the inward heart. And who is that precious to? The creator of the universe. He's saying, adorn yourself with what's most important. Adorn yourself with inward beauty. We all know the value of inward beauty, whether we say it or not. If you were to go out and buy a car today, I don't know if dealerships are open on Mother's Day or not. Um, if not, th- that'd be a great gift, guys. Um, uh, so, uh, you to go out and buy a car today. And, and you went up, and man, it could be the nicest looking car you've ever seen. Man, there was not a, not a dent, not a scratch, not a, not a nick on the car. Beautiful shine. The inside is arm-rolled, not a speck of dust. Beautiful interior. Man, you could you could look at that thing and be like, "This is this is the, this is a great car," until you turn the key, and it starts sputtering. It, it 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 doesn't work. You go to go down the highway and the brakes don't work. We don't want just the outward beauty, right? We want a we want a car that is, that is going to run that has something of of value to it. We want we want something that is that is not just pretty on the outside, but is but it's nice from the inside out. Even so, we want to acknowledge women and mothers who are adorning themselves on the inside, and that comes out in their lives. Men in the room, what is the most dreaded question you have from your wives? Most dreaded question. It's in the morning. You're ready. You walk in the bedroom, and they say, How do I look? Right? I have a trick for you this next week. The moment they say, how do I look, acknowledge her inward beauty. Acknowledge what truly matters to her. Acknowledge what matters to God. It's called avoiding the question, yes. Uh, But acknowledge what truly matters to God. Look for opportunities to praise her for the eternal qualities that you see in her life the things that are pleasing in God's sight. Use that as an opportunity to remind you that every day I need to be acknowledging the grace that God has given me and God-fearing women. We, don't, we, should not, we should not celebrate women who spend more time doing their hair than they do in God's Word. We should celebrate those women who spend more time on their knees praying for the lost than they do caring about them their own selves we should celebrate those who who love their children even in spite of them we should celebrate those who want nothing more than for the gospel to ring out we want to celebrate the imperishable so women you all you all know the value of these things i'm not I'm not telling you to do these things. I want you to see how these things are working out in God's word to bring him glory. And all of this is nothing new. It's nothing new. It's merely following the pattern that you've been given. Following the pattern that you've been given and women who have gone by. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Notice that. Don't skip over that who hoped in God. That's very important. The women of the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Those who did not hope in man, who did not hope in the things of man, who did not hope in this perishable things, but who hoped in God, they adorned themselves in a particular way. Schreiner, a commentator by the name of Schreiner says, "'This comment is instructive, for it informs us that women did not submit to their own husbands because they believed their husbands were superior to them, intellectually or spiritually.'" They submitted to their husbands because they were confident that God would reward all those who put their trust in him alone. They didn't do it because they thought their husbands were better than they were. They did it because they thought God was better than they were. Because they were secure in their hope of God that he would carry them through. And this is how they used to adorn themselves. And he gives this example of Sarah obeying Abraham by calling him Lord. Sarah obeying Abraham by calling him Lord, and I, I will, my wife and I jokingly use this verse um, with one another, and you you look at it and you can be like, that sounds kind of brash, right? You know, it sounds kind of up up there. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. I do not want my wife to ever call me Lord. I, I, I th- that is ridiculous. But but notice something when we hear this passage we think of something that is unreachable right you think of something that is kind of out there let me read to you the passage that this is quoted from and I pray that you laugh as hard as I did the Lord said I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah your wife shall be your son or shall have a son and Sarah was listening at the tent door behind them. She's eavesdropping, right? She's at the tent door. Like, how close did you have to be to the tent uh, actually here? You know, uh, she's, she's at the tent door. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. And this is what she says. Oh, uh, the way of the woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed. She laughs to herself and says, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. In the middle of that context, it says, Sarah said, and my Lord is old. That's the context for Sarah calling Abraham Lord. He's old. But I want you to notice something. In the middle of Sarah, in, in the middle of Sarah, she's, listen, she is hearing something laughable. She's advanced in years. Okay, I mean, think for just a moment. You're in your 80s and somebody comes to you and says, this time next year, you're going to bear a child. Okay, all right, now everybody's in, and Now we're in context. It, it's laughable, right? Sarah can't believe what she's hearing, that she's going to bear a child, and that her old husband is going to be the one that gets her pregnant. <laughs> how, how is this going to happen? She can't believe this. And yet in the midst of this crazy circumstance, she still has the respect of her husband in mind. Women, when you hear these passages of Sarah calling Abraham Lord, this is not some out-there passage. This is when your husband gets the idea that he's going to build something that you know he physically can't do anymore. And you're patient with him, and you you care for him, and you try to quietly remind him. And and this is not some out-there thing. This is a pattern set before us of reality. We can remain respectful even when we don't agree, even when it seems crazy. Abraham was following God and believing this would happen, and she was going to follow him. That is a biblical picture of a holy woman who hoped in God. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What are you going to fear? The stupid things your husband may do? God is bigger than the worst that we can do. He's bigger than any of that. He, he's, he's bigger and can care for us in ways that we can't imagine. Sarah was the recipient of the covenant promised to Abraham, and she bore a child in a very unexpected way. This is the power of modeled behavior. Women who are modeling godliness for other women and younger women that is, that is the model for holiness. Women who are speaking into the lives, older women who are speaking into the lives of younger women, or what I would prefer, mature, godly maturity women speaking into the lives of those who still need maturity. That is the pattern that we have for us in this passage. Men, encourage your wives, mothers, and sisters in Christ to seek mentors and to mentor fellow women. This is the pattern of Godliness. Now I'm going to try to real quickly go over this last passage, and it's not just because it's about men, um, but notice what it says here. It says, "Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered." Peter returns his exhortation from men or from women to men, calling men to live with them in a way of knowledge and honoring them. While it may bring God the honor to see a submissive wife, it is not the role of the man to enforce it. Biblical submission is voluntary. Rather, men are to acknowledge the beauty when they see it and handle these flowers with care. I want you to notice four things that he tells men about how they should handle their wives. They should handle their wives with knowledge. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Men, how well do you know your wives? How well do you know your wife? How well do we know our mothers? Children, how well do you know your mother? Do you know what they enjoy? Do you know what they, what they love? Do you know the, who they are and, and how they live? My wife will jokingly make fun of me at times because there was a time in our marriage when I'm like, I feel like I don't even know my wife. And so we went on a date, just the two of us. And when we got there, I pulled out my notepad full of questions that I wanted to ask her. And you know what? I still to this day have a running journal about who my wife is. Because, well, let's be honest, women change their minds sometimes. So I got to try to keep up. But secondly, I can't remember everything. You know what? As a man, I would take notes about anything else. How I fixed my car. You know, I would try to jot down things and remember things so that I didn't put it back together wrong. All right? we, we We take notes about everything else. Why not get to know our wives? Now, that's the nerdy option. You don't have to go that far. But live with your wives in an understanding way, in a way of knowledge. Seek to know who they are. Secondly, he says to handle them with care. Show honor to the women as the weaker vessel. Notice, he doesn't necessarily say that they are the weaker vessel. He says as the weaker vessel. As the weaker vessel. In other words, how do you handle something that is fragile? How do you handle something that's fragile? You handle it with care. You handle it because you don't want to break you don't want to break it. Even so, we handle our wives and mothers with care that we don't break their spirits or break their hearts. Mothers don't need any help breaking their spirits. Children are good enough at that on their own. We need to to handle them with care, showing honor to them, treating them in a way that is is careful and respectful, like we would a a fine piece of China. Handle them with truth, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. We, we, We live with men, we live with our wives and mothers in a certain way Because they are heirs. They're joint heirs, as some translations say, with you and the grace of life. In other words, you don't have anything they don't already have. You're no better than them in God's eyes. And Jesus makes that very clear. Just read the book of Luke. He's very careful with how he cares for women and the role that women have. Handle them with the truth that you are joint heirs in something that is not even yours to begin with. It's a grace. Fourth, handle them with consequence. Handle them understanding the consequences. What happens when we don't treat our wives and mothers the way we ought? So that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. What happens in the Gospels when the man comes to the temple and he has something wrong with his brother? Jesus tells him, turn around and go fix it with your brother before you come to sacrifice here. Go make it right before you come here. Husbands, we have more opportunities to mess up with our wives than we do anybody else. Handle them with care, with knowledge, and with truth, lest our prayers be hindered by our relationship with others. I can illustrate this more, but let me just apply. How do you care for your wife? If no words were spoken to the wives and mothers that you have, how would they feel as though you, you, you felt about them? How do you think they would, you, they would say you felt about them if no words could be spoken? If you could never say, I love you, how do you think they would uh, feel? Do you show your expression? Do you, do you speak those things to them? What are you telling your wives by your actions, not just on this one day? There's more here than can be applied in one moment, but I pray that this provides us an opportunity to consider and to think about how you are honoring Christ by the way you honor the women in your lives. Let me pray for us.